0: I'm Philip. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to see you. Hope you have a good time with us. If you're new to church, full stop. really glad that you're here. One of the things we love to do at King's Church is to open the Bible every week, and this week is no different, um, except it is a little bit. So we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks, as I mentioned last week, from our series in 1 Samuel. We're going to take two weeks to look at something different, look at something actually really, really important to, like, to who God is. Uh, and to who and to what he expects uh, he wants his local church to be. Uh, let me introduce that to you by reading to you, um, some verses from Proverbs 31, and I think you'll see where we're going. Uh, God says to us in Proverbs 31, open your mouth for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I want to say to you this morning that, that God's heart for those who are in poverty, who are in need, who are experiencing oppression and marginalisation, you see that right throughout the story of the Bible. It's there over and over and over again, to the point that by the end or towards the end of the story of the Bible, in the book of James, James in typically blunt fashion says this, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's pretty clear that God's heart for the local church is to express his heart which is in in many ways to, to in, uh, engender His compassionate love towards those who are experiencing particular poverty and need and oppression, and so we're going to take two weeks to look at this really, really important topic. And, and there's loads of things happening in the life of the church. There always has been things happening in the life of King's Church, and there are now as those of you give you a number of you give yourselves to extending something of God's love and compassion to bring something of His healing and restoration into the brokenness that we see around us, both locally, nationally, internationally, and that's wonderful, and we celebrate that. And I think also. We need probably some help. I know I need some help in to know how to do this, both as an individual Christian and also as a local church. How do we extend God's love and compassion and healing both internationally, nationally, and locally? So it's great this morning. We've got some help. We're going to have some help over the next two weeks. Next week, we'll think more locally and nationally with a speaker from Jubilee Plus, Martin Charlesworth being with us. This week, we've got James Woolley from International Justice Mission. I'm really pleased to introduce James to with us this morning. International Justice Mission, you might know a bit about. Some of you would have heard of them. Some of you would have come across them at Ashburnham. They do a wonderful, wonderful job. They've got a very, very clear mission, which is particularly to target things like human slavery and trafficking internationally, and to see it brought to an end, to see God's healing power, his restorative of power, bring that kind of thing to an end across the world. Uh, James and I met at A new ground prayer event earlier on in the year, and he only spoke for a few minutes. But I was just profoundly touched, really, by the heart that he shared, by what it, by what it was that he seemed to have touched of the nature and the heart of God. And we ended up chatting afterwards, and I was just really thought God say, we need to hear um, from what James has to say to us, from what International Justice Mission have to say to us. So I want to commend him to you. Let's be on the front foot to listen, to learn, and most of all, to expect God to speak through him. So can you welcome James?
1: thanks so much for the introduction, Philip. That was really, really lovely. Um, Let's start by reading the Bible. Does anyone have a Bible to hand? We're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter one, which I believe in your Bibles is on page 398. Nehemiah chapter one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand." O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. I am. Um, I got off a plane about 3 a.m. this morning um, and it wasn't planned, but unfortunately... Uh, Brian happened. Uh, you may be familiar with Storm Brian. Um, I was in South Portugal and we were there slightly longer than we intended to be in Faro Airport, which wasn't the, the, the ideal location, but... That's how it works. Um, I don't know if you've ever been through airport security. I'm sure many of you have. Um, and you take your hand luggage, and I don't know about you, but you've got your little package of liquids with sort of 100 mil or less that you're allowed to take through. And when I'm ever in these kind of environments with my wife, we're both feeling quite intimidated, slightly scared, and generally we're like, let's just get through this as fast as possible. I'd hate to walk through you know, the beepy thing and for it to beep. So you know, I take off my belt, I make sure I'm completely in a state where I'm going to get through and nothing wrong is going to happen. Um, My father-in-law doesn't quite work like this. My father-in-law is called Benoit. He's wonderful, he's completely French, and he's a charismatic Catholic, and he is charismatic in every sense of the word. In the local town, he's known as the Frenchman. He will go down, he'll meet with the egg man. he'll exchange words in French and then buy all the eggs, and he's just, he's an amazing man. I love my father-in-law. Um, but my father-in-law hasn't quite acquired all of the British social norms that uh, some of us may have, um, So I don't know about you, but when I see a queue, I feel this great sense of relief. And I go and stand at the back. When Benoit sees a queue, he just tries to get to the front. Um, And so when he's there at airport security, Benoit's response to airport security is slightly different. Because Benoit is slightly typically French in the sense that he loves strong cheese. Um, I don't. I, I can't. I can't you know, get around the taste. And you know blue cheese is very strong, potent. Well, Benoit loves a type of cheese that is even stronger. It's called Master. He is passionate about Master. You can only get Master in French, and I would highly recommend you never try Master. <laughs> Honestly, it is horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And there is Benoit, and he's uh, got so much Master on him that he couldn't fit it in all of his luggage, so he's got some in his hand luggage, and he's there at airport security. He goes through, it doesn't beep, which is a surprise, and he's got his hand luggage that goes through, and then he gets taken to one side, because it turns out the master qualifies as a liquid, which was a big surprise to Benoit. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in this situation, which I would not have been in, um, I would have just very quietly, in a very British way, just handed over the cheese, allow them to deal with it, and them to bin it, and just, I don't want to be embarrassing, I don't want to hold up the queue, I just want to get out of this situation as fast as possible. Benoit works in a slightly different way. Um, so Benoit stands there and he says, how, how can this be a liquid? It's cheese. And then as they're about to put it in the bin, as something within Benoit rises up, which is his really ecological, eco-friendly side, which just comes out of his mouth, don't waste the cheese. And so there he is trying to flog this cheese to airport security. And he's there saying, just eat the cheese. Don't bin the cheese, just eat it. Anyway, so we didn't have that experience at airport security this morning at 3am. Slavery is a really difficult topic to come into. I work for a group called International Justice Mission, and it's an absolute privilege, and it's an absolute, just by the grace of God, that we're the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. When we start talking about two-year-olds that are sexually exploited... Where do you start? The only place we can really start is the Bible. There's this incredible trend and theme that runs through the Bible from Exodus onwards of freedom. Exodus being free from, which obviously then just ends with Jesus bringing his ultimate freedom from sin, the slavery of sin. I wanted to take us through the first chapter of Nehemiah because it's quite consistent to many of the other prophets and judges that reside throughout the whole Old Testament. Prophets simply being the mouthpiece of God, often called to that specific time, that specific place, to advocate to the authorities to see God's people brought free. The incredible thing is that this is so consistent. It's very much a grace cycle. There's a difficult time for the Israelites, the people of God, and they turn away from God. They move away from him and they find themselves then oppressed, kept in slavery in some way or form. If it's Gideon, if it's Deborah, if it's Nehemiah, if it's Ezra, if it's David, they find themselves in some form of oppression. And then God rises up an incredibly unexciting, ordinary individual to call his people back into freedom. So that they can worship God in the wilderness. Nehemiah, you could very simply split into two sections the first four verses and then the rest of the book. The first four verses summarize what many of the prophets start with they hear, they hear the cry of God's heart. God's heart for the poor, for the lost, for the oppressed. And then they pray. What are we doing here today? We've come together to hear God, to pray to God. And then the rest of Nehemiah is consistent with what we're about to do. We're going to go. And so Nehemiah is basically about a man who is in Persia, it used to be Babylon, in this period of exile. And so, uh, is, Judah and Israel uh, have a bunch of kings. Gradually, the kings get worse and worse and worse. And so, eventually, they're turning away from God. And so, Assyria and Babylon come and invade Judah and Israel, which is very bad. And then, um, most of them are taken out as slaves or enslaved by these different empires that are not from God. And that's where we get the time of Daniel and uh, in the sort of the kingdom of Babylon. But then, Babylon becomes Persia. You go through the 70 period of year exile, and you end with kind of Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah are in this Persian empire, and you've got Nehemiah who hears this in verse 3. And they said to me, "'The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven.' Nehemiah hears about the state of Jerusalem. Now, for us to understand what this means to Nehemiah, when we hear that the walls are broken down, that the city is destroyed, we need to understand the depth of significance of the city of Jerusalem. So obviously, this strays all the way back to Abraham and this concept of covenant, which then Nehemiah talks about, which is basically where two become one. The Spice Girls nailed it. The idea of this covenant is where God takes on people to represent him, where he has his representatives. And so the people of Israel are consistently called to be God's representatives on earth, as the church is called today. The challenge is obviously that, as we have said, they always step away from God's call, and then God always brings them back through prophets. The thing with Nehemiah is he's hearing about this state of this city, Jerusalem. In the heyday under David and Solomon, the city of Jerusalem was meant to do exactly what the people of Israel were meant to do. They were meant to reflect God. So they built up the temple, they built up the walls, they built up the city of Jerusalem. So that when others came along and they saw the splendor of Jerusalem, David and Solomon and the Israelites could say glory to God. When they could see the stunning state of the temple, they could say glory to God. And so when we hear that the walls are broken down, what's Nehemiah hearing? He's hearing about the heartbreaking state of his people. He's hearing about how they are broken and they are lost. But he's also hearing this. God isn't glorified. God isn't glorified. And so Nehemiah is deeply convicted. He prays for the rest of the chapter and then he goes. He goes to build a wall in 50 days, which had taken everyone over 50 years to try and accomplish, and they've failed. And why does he do it? To bring glory to God. I'd love to tell you about a man called Cain Christie. In 2003, Kane Christie was sitting in a church, probably very similar to this, but in a slightly less hipster venue, um, and Kane Christie uh, was a lawyer, and he heard a story about a girl called Elizabeth. Elizabeth was 11 years old when she was kidnapped, taken to a brothel, and was sexually exploited by 20 men a day, raped 20 times a day. That's Elizabeth's story. That's modern-day slavery. The wonderful news is that the story does not end there. There are some people who came and rescued her. They worked with the local police. They went into the brothel, and they rescued Elizabeth. They went into Elizabeth's room, and they found her cowering behind a curtain. And she just didn't want to go with the police and with the social workers who were going with IJM at the time. She just didn't know how to trust them. And so the police and the social workers are there and they're just trying to convince Elizabeth that actually she's now safe. She won't be raped anymore. And eventually Elizabeth starts to realise that this is what freedom will start to look like. And Elizabeth... Then realizes that she knows where other girls are. And so Elizabeth is rescued, and then she's able to become the rescuer. She's able to bring other girls to freedom. This is the incredible story of a girl who is rescued from slavery today. And Kane Christie hears this story and his heart breaks. Because what Cain hears is that in this place, glory is not given to God. Actually, quite the opposite. The kingdom needs to be built there. God's glory needs to be shone in those brothels, in those places of dark evil, where 11-year-olds are raped. And so most of us in that kind of situation, as we are here today, may feel moved, may feel slightly jarred by this whole situation. But what happens is Kane does something slightly more radical. He puts down all of his tools, he moves to Cambodia, and he joins IJM. He chooses a completely different life. He was actually coming quite close to retirement, and his vision was golf and American football over in America. And now here he is in Cambodia, running an office, ending sex trafficking. He started there in about 2004, and he worked there for years. And after about seven or eight years of working there, the prevalence of sex trafficking in children in Cambodia was reduced to 0.2%. Because he saw Christians, Cambodian Christians, rise up to be that response, to empower the justice system, to rescue girls like Elizabeth, to restore them to arrest the criminals and then to slowly change that justice system so that the poor were protected, so that the walls were rebuilt. But that isn't where Cain's story ended. Cain was quite a man. Cain then moved to a city in the Philippines called Pampanga, Pampanga. He left the Cambodia office, which was now just Cambodian nationals who all love Jesus, who are part of different churches there, who are now running this office and working with the local government, being those prophets, advocating to the authorities to see that transformation. He moves to Pampanga in the Philippines. There's a really big military base in Pampanga, an American military base. And part of the sex industry there, heartbreakingly, was around minors again, children. And so, over three years, Cain works alongside the government to see that situation change. And over just three years there, he sees an 86% reduction in the sex trafficking of children. That's incredible. That's rebuilding the walls, that's restoring the cities, that's seeing transformation, that's hearing God's call and responding. And so then Kane Christie carries on, and Kane always had this motto, which was no matter how rough the waters, bring the boat home. Bring the boat home. And so he starts working with the Bill Gates Foundation, with us in the Philippines, and they see this model kind of happen across the whole country. And all you see is Kane just rising up time and time again completely insignificant, planning to just watch golf and American football, and then decides there's a slightly different way that God is taking his life. And so then, rightfully so, Cain is allowed to enter retirement, which is wonderful. His retirement lasts about six months. And then Cain is called to Ghana. In Ghana, we started working there in 2014 to see an end to slavery on a really big lake called Lake Volta. It covers about 3% of the landmass of the whole country. It's massive. And heartbreakingly, some of the boys and girls who fish on that lake are slaves, working 18, 19 hours a day. And the government welcomed Kane and the team with open arms. And this rescue operation happened.
2: I have, have, have a million, I to over to the police. I a guided, I I have a guided, I me I have I I'm going to go to the I'm going to go you the house. I'm going to go the house. I'm going to the house. i go I'm going to the I'm ne i to go to Lorsque je viens de式er passer par aurait dit je pensais que à vos parents. Sur le même supposed stuff nonprofit, ces
1: Gideon got to go to school. Gideon got to go back to his family. Gideon was restored. And obviously that process takes so long. But it started with that rescue. Something really challenging happened after that video. And we can't record this. Um, Things got really difficult in Ghana. Because obviously to see a successful rescue, there are certain people... Waters were rough, and Kane brought the ship home. He rebuilt the walls again. So, Kane's retirement is now planned for the end of this year. Who knows what would have happened? American football and golf. He went home about a month and a half ago. His family is spread out across the whole of the US. They all came together with his wife, Jean. And they spent time together as a family, which hasn't happened in so long because, you know, Cain's had stuff on. (laughs) They spend a month together, which is just beautiful. Time with his family as he was about to go back, finish off his time in Ghana and then retire. Cain died two weeks ago. He was lying on his bed, surrounded by his family with his wife. I've not shared this story anywhere else. Cain was a literal hero for us. Wherever he went, he literally saw an end to slavery and sex trafficking. Cain gave his life for it. One of my great mentors always used to say, find something to live for that's worth dying for. First and foremost, that's Jesus. But part of that kingdom is ending slavery in the legacy of Wilberforce, of Thomas Clarkson, of Moses, of Nehemiah, of Cain Christie. This is how Cain used to end his talks. And the church is at its best when it is a sign of the kingdom. A sign does two things. It points to what is coming and gives a glimpse of what is. Elizabeth's story, being rescued from a brothel, gives me a little glimpse of the justice of, that the king will bring. When a brutal brothel in Svav Pak in Cambodia that sold six-year-old girls for rape is shut down, its owners brought to justice, and its victims freed, it is a sign to me that the kingdom is just. When that brutal brothel is then converted into a community centre for children who formerly would have been sex slaves in the same building, it is a sign to me that the king is good. When a former victim in that brothel receives treatment for her trauma and loving care and now volunteers to help others at risk, children in the same house where she was formerly brutalised, it is a sign to me that the king will make all things new. I didn't tell you the end of Elizabeth's story. She was rescued when she was 11. The rescued became the rescuer when she helped rescue other girls. And after this brothel was emptied as the girls were rescued, we went back Into her room, and behind the curtain where she was cowering in the little corner just down in the bottom corner, she had written this in chalk Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is moving in the most incredible ways. Welcome to the modern-day abolitionist movement. And now we're left in this place of hearing about Cain's incredible story, literally what he gave his life to. And the question is, what next? Let me introduce you to Nehemiah, a man who heard the call of God God's heart for the oppressed, for the least, the last, and the lost. God's heart for justice. And then Nehemiah prayed. He talked to God because God had a plan for him. So I would love to invite you to pray with me. Because it always starts with prayer. And if we underestimate the power of God, then we are not giving credit to our saviour. I would love for us to pray. Pray about what this means for you. If you want to pray with us regularly to hear about people being rescued, then thank you. I'll be at the back. Of the Mir being given a little form which you can sign up if you want to pray or support us. That would be amazing. But maybe this runs really deep with you. Maybe God is calling you to bring glory to him in some area. Maybe it's in your workplace right now. Maybe it's in your home life. Maybe it's in Cambodia. All I know is that God has an incredible plan where you will be called to rebuild the walls, to be the restorer of cities, to bring freedom to the oppressed. Let's pray. God, our Father, will you have your way with us? Lord, we pray that today we will hear from you. Lord, will your will be done. Lord, we thank you for the lives of those like Cain Christie, of William Wilberforce, of Nehemiah, of Moses, who you called to see the oppressed set free. And Lord, we pray that we will learn what it means to answer your call in our lives. Is that your call on our life? Lord, we pray that you will make it clear to us. Amen.